And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire podcast network as well as the HubSpot podcast network. Now, the HubSpot podcast network has incredible shows like The Hustle Daily. It's hosted by Zachary Crockett, Jacob Cohen, Rob Litterst, and Juliet Bennett Ryla. Now, The Hustle Daily brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat and informative takes on business, tech, and news. And it happens daily. So if you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, and some of these topics are interesting to you, then you're going to love the Hustle Daily. Uh, Topics like Amazon's grocery strategy, the rise of the ugly shoe economy, is AI the secret to love, and America's sleep deficit problem. So if these are topics you want to get into and you love hearing up-to-date content whenever you wake up in the morning, Go listen to The Hustle Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Deborah Driggs. Deborah is one of the highest earning, most notable, most recognizable life insurance agents, a completely oversaturated industry. She rose to the top in all of the United States. She didn't start like that, though. She went through a career in professional figure skating. Then she went into professional dancing. She was a Playboy centerfold model before she finally pivoted. She reinvented herself. So we spoke about her life, her career. We spoke about uh, early days, what she learned from professional sports. We spoke about her going to acting, into dancing, into cheerleading, going into uh, a Playboy audition, messing up the Playboy audition, but then being called back for a centerfold spot and how that impacted her life, the doors that that opened. Then we spoke about her divorce at 40, her reinventing herself, her going into life insurance, her having to completely learn something brand new at an older age and go into it and do it successfully. Now she teaches life insurance agents. She gives motivational speeches on her life, on reinventing yourself, on overcoming self-talk and self-doubt, a negative self-talk, and also just on sales and how she was so successful on building this book of business so that she has clients that are movie studio moguls, celebrities, Fortune 500 leaders, some of the highest net worth individuals. Those are her clients. Those are her life insurance clients. Uh, she has a book coming out, a memoir on her life. She's an incredible individual. It was a really fun conversation. Let's jump right into this. This is Deborah Driggs, one of the most notable life insurance agents in the United States. Yeah, so going, you know, for me, I think the the, the most important thing that I got as a young, as a youngster, as a young child was I started out in figure skating and I did not have any structure growing up in, in my home environment. 
My parents were very young when they had me. My mother was 19. My father was 22. So what saved me was the fact that I found ice skating and I became a competitive figure skater. And all I, I really, I really give a lot of credit to the fact that I had some amazing coaches. I had some of the hardest life lessons as a skater. And without that, I, I, I don't know that my life would have gone in the direction that it really went in because I got all those skills that you really need in a home environment or a school environment. And in both those environments, that element was missing. So and you got that, that from sports, got that yeah. from sports and thank God, because, you know, even today, you know, there's a, there's a, a discipline that I have that came from when I started skating at a very young age, you know, back when I skated, you had to get up at 4am and you had to do something called patch. You had to do figures for hours before you even did a spin you had to do these figure eights. They don't do this anymore, by the way. And I remember when they took it out of, um, when they when they said, you know, we're not gonna use this anymore because you had to pass a certain amount of tests to get to the Olympics. And when they took it out, I was like, finally, because I it just, it drove the skaters nuts that we had to spend so many hours doing figures when we wanted to be skating. And so that was, that, but that also gave us discipline. And so, you know, I started my day at 4, 4, 4 a.m. Yeah, 4 a.m. for sure. That doing, gives you discipline. <laughs> doing figures, just skating in figure eights, you know. And and then after school, I went back to the rink and I skated for another, you know, four hours doing the freestyle skating. And so I had some really tough coaches and I had coaches that, you know, when I fell down or if I was going to fall apart emotionally, they were like, get up, we go again. And so at a young age, I'll even remember, this is a great story because my very first competition, I fell on my first jump and I went completely, you know how it's like a, a car accident where it happens and it's like slow motion. Yeah. That's how this felt. I fell, I'm on the ice and I get up and everything afterwards was like slow motion. Next thing I knew, I came off the ice hysterically crying. And, you know, this is the 70s. So my coach grabbed me by my hair and took me into the little girl's room and was like yelling at me, stop crying. You're going to get back on the ice immediately and we're going to go through this again. And I know in, in some way today, a lot of parents are, that's so abusive and oh my God, you know, but I have to tell you, there was something about that that was very disciplinary for me and very, like it, it snapped me out of self-pity very quick. And it became about, okay, you fall down, you get back up and you're no good to anybody if you're on the ground. So we got to get back up. We got to go again. So I have so much admiration for athletes and actors or anybody who achieves a very high level of success in anything business, because I know, I know that there were so many failures and so many times that they fell down and had to get back up and, and, and get over it very quick. And, and that's a gift really. So I got that from my coaches. And, and somehow or another that, that 
that luckily transferred into my life as a kid because I kind of knew that when things weren't going so well at home or at school or in my outside life, outside of ice skating, that there was something inside of me that knew that it would be okay. I could pull it together. And that's where I, 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 I attribute a lot of those skills to ice skating. So that's why I speak a lot about that because I think there's a, a big mindset that comes from having great mentors and great coaches and great life lessons. And I, one of the things I say a lot is a lot of my growth, I truly believe did not happen when I was at the height of something. It usually happened when I was really on my knees at, at the bottom emotionally, where I had to really dig even deeper. That's where the growth happens. And so, and I know even for athletes that get to certain high levels, and I know, you know, you, you peak, right? You get to some levels where you're like the best, but then all of a sudden you kind of fall back because the growth really happens when you're in the bottom. That's when you push yourself. And that's why actually I think that athletes make such great case studies for successful business people, because the mindset of an athlete is something that translates very easily into business because the amount of shit you go through to operate at a, at a high level as an athlete, that's something that if you've never done it before, it's hard to acclimate to that when you're starting a business. But if you've done it in a professional sport and figure skating, soccer, soccer, baseball, hockey, whatever, then all of a sudden you already have the mindset. You just have to, you already have the mindset that's required to be that successful. So yeah. you're definitely onto something there for sure. I think that's a yeah. huge, and you know, and you know, it, there's people talk about this all the time. You know, the, the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal could be seconds, mm -hmm. could be just this millimeter. It's just, it's, it's like yeah. this, this, this gap that is so small and it's the difference between a gold and a silver medal. And when you really wrap your head around that and you think, God, you know, it's so close and there's even, the bronze. I mean, when you look at the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and you see just how close it really is. Less than a second sometimes. Less than a second. So what is that that pushes that one person? Because it's really hard. People don't usually remember silver and gold, uh, uh, bronze medalists. It's always, yes, we yeah. always remember the, the winner. So yeah, there is, there is a lot to that. So you, so you went, you were, you were competitive at figure skating. How far did you go? I, um, unfortunately I had to stop skating at the age of 14, at 14, 15, my parents got a divorce. We, I did not come from any financial, you know, there, you know, my parents lived check to check. Like I said, they were very young. And so all of my mother's paycheck was paying for my skating. It's an expensive sport. As you can imagine, I had two pairs of skates and costumes and competitive and ice time and private ice time. And, and so all of that, plus I was taking ballet. So when they got divorced, it kind of came to an end because now she had to support two kids and couldn't support the ice skating and two kids. So I kind of went through this. That was kind of, I think my first real low point in life where I had two griefs. I griefed the death of my parents. You know, the door divorce is like death. 
So mm -hmm. grieving a divorce and then grieving the one thing that was keeping me kind of above water, so to speak. You know what I mean? The one thing that was giving me the best skills in my life. And I lost both like that overnight. And then I, you know, thank God I had, you know, dance was part of the program with skating. So the natural thing for me to start to do was to get involved in the dance, uh, the dance team in high school. And I was a song leader and got into cheerleading. And then I became a professional cheerleader. And I, 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 that what my gateway into the entertainment business was through dance. I would, I would go through this book we had back then called drama log and people my age are going, Oh my God, I remember drama log. I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So, so if you were an actor in the eighties, we had a, uh, a, a newspaper called the drama log and it would have open auditions. So I was a dancer. So I'd go to all the open dance auditions one of my first movies I ever auditioned for was Dirty Dancing because I went for the dancing part of the audition, which I made. I got it. I got all the way to the end. And then they decided they wanted me to read for a part in the movie. And then I was like, I don't have any acting experience. So, yeah. So it's just a funny story that, you know, that's just what was happening. And so, but from, from all that, I knew that there was something that I had because I always got called back. So I knew that there was something that was going on. I had some sort of it factor because I was always getting called like, we want to see her again. Mm -hmm. So I took a class called Tepra Lagos, which was a commercial workshop. And at the end of it, they bring in agents and then agents watch you do an improvised commercial and they decide whether or not they're going to represent you. Well, that night I had three agents that wanted to represent me. And that was kind of the start of my career in the entertainment business. I signed with an agency called Pacific Artists. Signed with a print agent through them called Max. And the very first audition they sent me on was for a Japanese uh, commercial called Creep Christie. It was a non-dairy coffee creamer. And I booked it. You know... First, first one, first agent, first, first audition, first. first everything, and I booked it. And so then we, that's it's not like, bad. Not that's bad. Not, that's not normal either, right? I, I'm not no. from acting, but I'm assuming that's not normal. I, I've not heard it normal, like it, okay. not normal, not normal at all. It's okay. like one out of one. It's not normal. Usually actors will tell you they went on a hundred auditions before they finally booked something. And so I booked this commercial, and I remember just thinking, I'm on a roll. I'm never not going to, this is it. You know, this is what I'm doing. And everybody would tell me, you can't model. You're too short. You're too this, you're too that. And I modeled quite a bit. I actually had a lot of accounts that rebooked me all the time because I was easy and fun to work with. And then also back then there was a show called the fashion channel. This is before HSN, before QVC, and it was an it was a 24 hour show where you could buy clothes and i was i was a regular model on that show and so i started just getting all this great momentum and now 
this is all in the 80s and then cut to 1989 I get a call from my agent that Playboy wants to meet with me for a book called the lingerie book and they wanted me for the cover so I go in on this audition it doesn't go well because I go to the famous building on sunset and I remember they gave me a robe and they're like okay you know take everything off and we're gonna do some Polaroids and I went oh I'm not here for that I'm here for the lingerie book for the cover and they said everything we do has nudity we need to see your body now back then they were looking for birthmarks tattoos you know piercings scars you know they were looking at your body a little bit differently back then that's just the way it was this is the 80s you know today it wouldn't matter and none of that would matter but well, back then you couldn't even back, like uh, there was there was companies that wouldn't hire if you had a tattoo like exactly it was exactly it was, a it was a little bit of a different time it was a totally different time and so that was that was that's what was going on so I did not take my stuff off and I go in to do the Polaroid and they're like you know well we got to see your body and I'm like yeah no so I leave and I'm like well I'm not going to get that job because I wouldn't take off my clothes it wouldn't, wouldn't go yeah it wouldn't do it and I I had done swimwear and stuff so it wasn't like I was you know I was used to being on the beach changing on the beach with somebody holding a towel while I changed into a different bikini for a mm -hmm. bikini shoot so it wasn't like I wasn't comfortable I just wasn't sure you know so I was intimidated I'm in the Playboy building I'm like how many you know, people just a question on that when they do yeah. a shoot like how many people do they bring in is it like uh do they like they do they like try and you know find the best of the best or do they just go through like 500 different women and they just pick whoever they want what's what's their well, strategy this this was this was for a new uh, publication back then it's not new anymore obviously but back then it was called a lingerie book and they were going to it was going to be like you could see women in lingerie mm. partially nude some of it nude you know whatever and so this was for the cover so they were going to modeling agencies looking for a cover girl. Now for Playboy, for the centerfold, and I remember because when I actually shot my centerfold, they, the makeup artist and I were talking one day and she said, I don't know if you know this, Deborah, because I really, I didn't know much about Playboy when I decided to do it, but they get over a thousand submissions a day. Jeez. Wow. So there are girls from all over the world that want to be in the magazine. And that's in, that's in 89-90. So, that and, was and in 89-90. And, and you have to remember, in 1989, Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. It was probably at its height, really. I mean, it was really... A thousand a, submissions a day. A day. That's insane. I had no idea. You know, I, I'm, I lived in LA. I was already modeling. I was already doing commercials. I didn't live at the mansion because I lived in LA. So I didn't take advantage of that, but I didn't really understand the story of Playboy until years later, really, when I and when I started to really kind of have more respect for Hef and and his vision and the and when I really learned about who he was, I I was really grateful for that experience. So anyway, going back, I leave the audition. I sucked. And I get a call from the ch ch editor in chief of Playboy, called me personally and left me a message saying, 
we want to shoot you to be a centerfold. And I was like, I think you're confusing me with somebody else because I didn't come in for that. And she's like, I know, but we like your look and we really want to shoot, shoot with you. So I went in, I did a test shoot and it went really well. Next thing I knew I was shooting a centerfold for Playboy magazine and became and, and how was So when you're thinking about that, when you're, when you're in your career right now, do you have hesitations going into this or are you just like, fuck it, let's do it. Oh, I had you know, hesitation. I had hesitation. Back then I had hesitations because it was a, there was different, different um, problems, let me say, that would come with that. So for example, I was doing a lot of the girl next door modeling. And when I say that, like when you'd open the Sunday paper, I'd be the girl for Macy's going, you know, and so I wasn't going to get those jobs anymore. I wasn't going to be going out for certain commercials anymore that wanted the wholesome girl because mm -hmm. back then that that did ruin that. Today, you could be, there's more nudity on social media than there was in 1989 in a magazine. So, but it had a lot of repercussions for me and I had to make that big decision of, how am I going to portray myself now? And by the way, I, I, I always kind of saw myself as a funny girl and not a sexy girl. You know, if I was to put myself in a category. And so I kind of had to grow into being this playboy model um, character, really. I call it a character because it is. It's not really who I am in real life. But I will say all the people that were in my life at that time all decided that it was a really good idea for me to do Playboy because back then it did open a lot of doors. I got meetings that I would have never gotten otherwise. I was on the Oprah Winfrey show. I did the Bob Hope special. I mean, I got I got invited to do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't and, never and have when you're making gotten. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, you may have heard me speak about leveling up in the past, how we can level up our careers, our businesses, our customer experience. I wanted to take a minute and focus on that last one because when we level up our customers' experiences, we transform our customers into evangelists and help our business and our careers grow like crazy. With new features dedicated to helping your sales teams improve your customer experience, HubSpot is on a mission to help millions of companies grow better starting with yours. Conversation intelligence tools help your teams get real-time insights into calls with automatic recording, transcription, and call analysis. With more visibility into customer conversations, coaching, and customer feedback becomes that much easier. Easy share meeting links, let customers see availability and book meetings for you, all from the HubSpot platform. This cuts out endless cycles of scheduling email. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. When you're making this career decision, I'm curious as well. So when you are doing the modeling and you can speak in just like generalities, you can be specific, yeah. but I'm curious about the, the, the money involved. So you're doing the modeling, you're an up and coming model. How much money are you making compared to when you sign up for a Playboy Centerfold? Because if you're passing up all these opportunities over here, you're clearly thinking strategically to some extent, I can make more money over here with the Playboy option. So what, is, what does that look like? Just so somebody understands why you would make that move. 
yeah so it wasn't it wasn't for the money and yeah i can just tell you that. okay I, you know it really wasn't because i was doing pretty well up until i decided to do playboy and so I, I was kind of giving up a little bit because i was going out on a lot of commercial stuff and i did a lot of commercials and now I had to be really careful because a lot of those people that were bringing me in for auditions, once they found out I did Playboy, they weren't bringing me in for certain commercials anymore. So it really wasn't, it was, it, it's, it's, and I will tell you this, I was what, 25 years old. I couldn't even tell you, you know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to run my checking account back then. You know, I was always the one going, how did I go through all my money and it's only the second week of the month? You know, I was that girl, you know, yeah. I just did never, I didn't know, I did not understand how money worked or, you know, I, I learned all that the hard way too. So I don't know that I really compared the, 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 the losses versus the gains or, you know, like, mm -hmm. is this going to be a better decision? I just knew that Playboy absolutely opened a lot of doors and I got to meet a lot of people that I I would not normally have probably met I had people calling me wanting to meet me now and that was very different for me okay so then you did the centerfold so you you went for the audition didn't do well got called back did the centerfold okay so walk me through what's the what's what's the extent of like the playboy portion of your life like what what did you do how long did that last what did you do for them was it a short stint long stint um let's go into that uh so i would say that for me it was kind of a short stint i i did a few things after being a centerfold um the reason being is i really wanted to act and so I put myself in a two-year acting program that I had to sign a contract that said I would not miss a class and I would, you know, work with my partners and I, you know, because, you know, they wanted people that were very serious to be in this program. And I also got, got chosen to train with Joanne Barron, who at the time was really hard to, to train with. And if I'm correct, I think that the class I was in, I was in her first year class, that was the last time she taught first year. So it was like a real win-win for me. So I really did not want to miss that opportunity. And it was right when my issue came out. So I didn't do a lot of the stuff that a lot of the girls do where they travel and do promotions and all of that. I, I, I really wanted to learn how to act. And so I did that. I went to acting class three times a week. And if I had time or if there was an opportunity for me to do something that was worth my while, then, then I did. But for the most part, I was, I was really studying acting. Okay. Um, and okay. So I do want to, so I want to talk about like the reinvention and I want to talk about what, you know, why you made such a big pivot. There's a lot of changes yeah. in your life. The only thing that I'm actually curious about before we like totally move off Playboy, because I know it was like a, a small, but obviously impactful portion of your life in the grand scheme of things. You mentioned something when we were talking before and like emails and whatnot, you're saying, oh, it's so, you know, it's so relevant now because there's so much going on about like Playboy and, and Hef and all that in the news. And I actually, 
I actually don't know. I don't know much about this stuff at all. So I, <laughs> I was well, actually more curious about. Right about what's going like, on? What's going on right now? Is that I only watched? I could only watch it. 30 minutes of it. I could have, I, I was just curious off. because I feel yeah, like it's so, going to be, it's going to be good for the algo somewhere. It's going to be indexed somewhere. Yeah. People are going to come check this out. Yeah. Well, cause A and E just put out a documentary with Holly. I can't um, know her last name, but she was one of Hef's girlfriends, Holly Madsen. And uh, I think that's her last name. Anyway, she just came out with the documentary on A and E. And I, I, you know, I watched it and I, I just, for me, it was it was really hard to watch because knowing Hef the way that I knew Hef and knowing the mansion, there was never any, the mansion was what it was. It was a place to go and party. He had five or six parties, famous parties a year. He, had, he, was, he was a creature of habit. You know, he had his backgammon night. He had movie night every Sunday night where all the girls were invited up to watch a movie and have a beautiful buffet dinner and there was never anything wrong with any of it. I mean, I found Hef to be one of the most gracious people I'd ever been around. I found him to be wickedly funny, extremely smart. And to watch a documentary with somebody saying false accusations about a man who was who really helped shape and change the way people thought about things and did some of the most memorable interviews in the world was hard for me to watch. I, I was like baffled actually, because hmm. some of these girls would never have, we wouldn't know who they were if they hadn't associated themselves with Hef. And so that's why that is. So the timing of it, I had a lot yeah. of people reach out to me and ask me to be on the podcast to kind of talk about the opposite of it because I never saw anything that was out of line or, or not right at the mansion. If you went to the mansion, you knew what you were going for. You knew what you were in for. You knew there were going to be women walking around half naked or swimming nude in the pool or, you know what I mean? It was, but nobody was forced. There was no, it wasn't like, wasn't like a cult. It was, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. that was Hef's lifestyle. He, and by the way, he never said it wasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, he, no his... I don't think anybody had any uh, illusions yeah. about what he was all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And by the way, these girls were, they were standing in line to be one of his girlfriends. And so when I watched, I guess one of the girlfriends talk about how it ruined her life and it ruined it and it was this and everything. Everything came with a price. Well, yeah, in life, everything comes with a price. That's life. That's life. So I just, I couldn't watch it. I just, I turned it off and I I, I was actually shocked because I actually knew a few of the people that were being interviewed and I was just like, wow, I can't even, this is hard to, to watch. Interesting. And it reminds me a lot, you know, like I, I'm just not a, I think today how do I say this? I know I'm going to get reamed for saying this, but <laughs> it's how I feel. I think the Me Too movement is just, it's gotten out of hand because now you've got men that are scared to hire women that are more capable of doing the job than the guy, but they're like, you know what? I'm going to hire the guy because I just don't want to deal with the Me Too movement. God forbid I look at this person the wrong way. 
So it's just, it's, it's kind of gone too far. And what was your experience? You know, and I, I, I have to tell you, well, I have to tell you, I've worked with a lot of men because I, the industry that I work in now is life insurance and 10% is women. And the most of the women are assistants and underwriters. I happen to be a life agent. And, you know, when I go to a lot of our, our annual meetings, the room is all men. You know, I look around the room and I'm always like, wow, where are all the women in the business, you know? But I've, I've spoken to men who are CEOs, who own their own companies, who have money. I have spoken to men that have told me their stories of girls that will try to manipulate some sort of story where they did something wrong to try and settle out of court for money, you know. So you hear both sides, and well, that's the that's and, the, the toxic, uh, horrible. That's like that's the thing that the negative that comes of of this, exactly. right? Exactly, and so yeah. it goes well, both like ways. The lying so and very, falsifying stories are never that's never okay. But it just it's never maybe it's okay. been a little more prevalent in the past couple of years. Yeah, but and I just worry sometimes when I hear like when I hear this story about half or whatever, I just worry. I'm like. What is your, I, my, 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 always my question is, what is your part in it? You know, what, what is your part in it? Why would you even go and hang out with Hef if all this was going on? Why didn't you leave? Well, this, this Why'd is probably stay? a bigger conversation. This, this is a bigger conversation about cancel culture, right? This is, a, and, and yeah, now people exactly. are, people are canceled and they're, and they're, uh, you know, with cancel culture. And, I, and I'm a, I, I absolutely cannot stand cancel culture because people, uh, without any sort of, you know, court proceedings or anything like that, get their livelihoods shut down because of social it's media, very, wildfire, so and it's not So, good. you know, you know what? People are going to say things. I'm going to say things that are going to be misinterpreted or they're going to be misread or they're going to offend somebody. I'm not going to, not everybody's going to like what I have to say. But context and matters I can just too. tell you. Context I'll matters use the, too. Context matters too. And I'll just say, I, I was very offended by this recent thing that Whoopi Goldberg said. You know, I have a lot yeah. of Jewish friends and I raised my kids Jewish. And for her to say that the Holocaust wasn't about race was like, I fell off my chair. I literally, because I watched yeah, it a few a, times yeah. just to make sure that I was hearing her properly. And that was, and that I was fell off up, my chair. It was really yeah. fucked up. And, yeah. but I don't think she should be canceled. No, but that's, just that's as, the thing. So, just as I don't think yeah. Roseanne Barr should have been canceled, and I don't think Sharon Osbourne and all these. It's like people are going to say things out of emotion sometimes. They're not doing it. I don't think Whoopi Goldberg did it. I just think it was just such a stupid thing I don't thing think to Whoopi say. Goldberg is anti-Semitic. I think she said something that she didn't think through in public. And then... No, she you know, should... And, and, and it's ignorant, really what it's she not, should have said is yeah. what she should have said is what she was trying to explain is the, the 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 horrible thing that this man did. This man did what she said it was man being so horrible to other, but it was he was trying to wipe out an entire race of people, and so she just missed. She kind of missed a big point there, but it's okay. It was a bad. It was a bad analogy. It was, it was a, a bad analogy, analogy. A and, bad and, analogy. and, 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 you know, but again, I go back to, should she be canceled for it? Well, now I think you know, this is but, the whole thing. But with it's, 
But then, ahead, but then I think, okay, well, if Roseanne Barr was canceled, if all of these other people that these, you know what I mean? Like if it, if, if, if certain groups don't like certain things that are being said, they get canceled. Well, I can tell you, there's a huge group of people that did not like what she said and she's not getting canceled. And so that makes people wonder like, well, what's going on and who's making mm. this, this decision? Why Roseanne and why not Whoopi, you know? And that's where it gets a little tightrope ish. And a little... I also think that people are getting canceled so much now that it's almost like flavor of the month in terms of who you cancel. Yes. Like this, like, you know what I mean? Like you get, you cancel somebody, <clears throat> then people forget about it two weeks later yeah. because there's someone else to cancel. Then it becomes, it becomes silly. It becomes like it, it loses well, and the people are doing things. People, people are doing things right now. People are doing things right now that are, that they think are going to, make a point but they're actually kind of hurting themselves like mm -hmm. like i'm gonna pull my music unless you do this I, mm -hmm. i'm using joe rogan obviously as an example yeah, yeah. and i'm thinking wait you're gonna pull your nose off your face you're gonna you know what i mean like wait a second like you have to run a business and just because you don't like everything that goes on in the business that you're in you're going to pull your music. It just, it, that part for me gets a little like, and then people join in on the bandwagon. Well, if this person's going to pull their music, I'm going to pull my music too. And we're going to make a point that if you're going to have Joe, then we're going to pull our, and it's just, it's like, it becomes this whole, like, you're not going to agree with everybody. So <laughs> you're pulling your music, but that's your business. You know, and you, and yeah. by the way, your fans, I'm going to tell you right now, half your fans like Joe Rogan. Well, now you it, just yeah, lost it, half your fans. Yeah. And, yeah. So you got to be careful. the person it's, you're talking about in particular. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure more than half of them like Joe Rogan, but, but regardless, yeah. That's I what think I'm saying. That, you got to be careful. Yeah. Like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. And yeah, I just, it's what it's such a it's such a cancel culture is such a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic it really because is. it just doesn't. And I think that it's gotten even worse. It's gotten even worse. People are angrier than ever at each other. It's just so I know people are so pissed it's off at everyone. Beyond. That's why I, I swear I, I, I tried very hard and it's hard sometimes because you just really want to you want to have an opinion. And I haven't done it in a very long time up until this whoopee thing. And then I got in on the tweet game of, of that because it, it, it kind of freaked me out what she said, but for the most part, I stay out of it completely. And I, I yeah. write a weekly blog that, that kind of hopefully shifts the perspective to coming back to wellness and holistic thinking, which is everybody's going to do what they're going to do. And the only control we have over anything is ourself. That's it. And everyone also, a lot of people are like, if you have people in the public sphere, just by the virtue of the amount of things that they say in public and emotions and opinions, they're going to screw up at some point. But I can guarantee you, if you, if the goal of canceling somebody is to change their view, I can tell you right now that bullying and just like online assault is not going to change their view on anything. 
if anything, that's going to make them double down and they're going to just migrate to their own little community or tribe of people that agree with them. It's exactly. like, it's a very polarizing, almost like, ant, like you just mentioned, it's, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't do anything positive for anyone because you have the people, no. if somebody is actually, if somebody is actually a very bad person and they say something that they actually truly believe in and you cancel them, I understand, I understand the rationale, but that's not going to change their opinion on anything. It's not going to change their opinion on anything at all. And now yeah. you you see these platforms popping up that they're moving over to, right? You're seeing they're moving over yeah. to different platforms. So I don't, I don't, I just don't see how it solves anything at yeah. all. I just think it's like called, have a, stay in your lane, have your beliefs and stay in your part. What's my part? What, you know, what am I doing to make this a more positive experience for the world yeah. or for whatever I'm doing. And the minute you start worrying about what other people are doing, you, you're kind of, you're kind of at a loss because we're, we're, I'm never going to change no matter what I write, no matter what I say about what Whoopi said, I'm not going to change the situation or what happened. She said something. So what? Okay. Next. You know, yeah. it bothered me for about five minutes. It did. I, I, I got a little on the Twitter bandwagon about it because I just wanted it to be known that it was for me. I raised my kids Jewish and, you know, it was just a little yeah. outrageous in that regard. But other than that, I'm not I can't control what people say. And at the end of the day, I can't control what people say. I can't control what people do. And I can only focus on what I do, what I say, and, you know, and just be really grateful that we live in a world where we do have free speech. And I think we're forgetting yeah. that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I know. I mean, the fact that, you know, I think that we have to be grateful sometimes that we can even say some of the we yeah. can have opinions on stuff in public. That's a that's a blessing. That's an absolute blessing because that totally. is not everywhere in the world. It's totally. definitely not everywhere in the world. Um all right, that's enough about cancel culture. It's a, it's a sad, setting, frustrating, pain in the ass topic. That's I don't think we're gonna fix it on this show at least. So let's uh, let's go on to yeah, other I'm... stuff. Let's go on to go on to business stuff. This is the whole point of the well, show. Well, speaking is of cancel stuff. culture, I yeah, will mention okay. I yeah. will mention that uh, uh, Donald Trump is on the cover of my 1990 March 1990 issue. So this is a of, this is very of, funny too. Of which uh, so, issue of what? Well, I'm the centerfold of March 1990. Playboy. And he's on Playboy. He's on the cover of my issue. <laughs> so, swear That's it. funny. You can't, you can't make this up. And so I get more fan mail today because now everybody wants the issue signed because it's a collector's yeah. item now. But, you know, I didn't know when I was doing Playboy that, Donald Trump would one day be president and be on the cover and he's on the cover of my issue. And then I'm on the cover of the following month on April uh, 90. But yeah, speaking of cancer culture, I got a lot of, it either goes either way. People either go, that's so cool. Or, Oh my God. You know, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, and yeah, I can't I win. I can't win. Unfortunately, it's my issue. Yeah. So I don't really, it doesn't buy, you know, I don't care. It's part of my history. So let's take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Truebill. So let me ask you a question. How often have you signed up for a free trial and then it converted into a paid subscription and you forgot to cancel it? Or how often have you just not been able to cancel something because the process to cancel that particular 
you know, monthly service is just horrible and painful and they make you jump through hoops. Truebill is solving this for you. Truebill is letting you fight back against scammy subscription services. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or you simply forgot about. On average, people save roughly $720 per year with Truebill. And it's honestly because companies make subscriptions difficult to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts to Truebill and they cancel everything unwanted with a single click. And if something doesn't cancel automatically, they actually have a concierge service that will follow up and cancel it for you so that you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million active users and they saved people over $100 million. I used it myself. I saved about 578 bucks. But that's just because I spent so much time in the past having to go back and cancel. I'm sure if I knew about them two, three years ago, it could have saved me like thousands of dollars by now. So stop letting CEOs and bad businesses get rich off you being unable or just forgetting to cancel. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today with Truebill at truebill.com slash success story. Go right now, truebill.com slash success story. That's truebill.com slash S-U-C-C-E-S-S-S-T-O-R-Y. It could save you thousands a year. That's truebill.com slash success story. Take control of your subscription. Yeah. 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 Well, it's way before he was involved in politics anyway. So exactly. it's, going, it's going back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny though. I, so I always funny. forget sometimes when you actually look at his history, I see, I always forget all the funny stuff that he did over his career. Like he's, oh, did, totally. he's done some really wacky shit. Like he's done the commercial. Like, com- I didn't know he was on a Playboy cover, but he's done. Some, yes. He's a, he's a, he's good at promoting himself. You love him or hate him, but he's good at like getting his face in spots and known. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's really funny. All right. Um, okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about like rebirth. Let's talk about what you did. Let's talk about what you did after Playboy. So uh, you said, when you were 40 or in your 40s when you were 40 yeah, so you know here you know so my whole background was acting modeling and yeah. waitressing you know i mean i waitressed a lot of the times too to to make up for money when you know cuz with with the entertainment business if you're not working for a couple months you got to waitress or do something so i'd really never worked in the in in a in a in a real job so to speak I got married. I had three kids. And in 2004, I got divorced. And I found myself at 40 years old, broke, divorced, three young children, and having to say, now what? Now now what is, what is life going to look like now? What am I going to do? And so I did a lot of here, you know, odd jobs. I worked at a spa, I organized closets, I I got my real estate license and started doing really well in real estate. And in 2008, oh, by the way, I, I, I raised my kids in Park City, Utah, mm-hmm. got them out of LA because I was getting a little tired of all the private school nonsense and decided to raise them in a community where they could ride their bikes and walk to school. And you moved your whole family over to, yeah, we all moved and then I got divorced. So I raised my kids in park city. And so I got my real estate license in Utah. And in 2008, when the market took a dive, 
my, obviously my niche was second family, multi-million dollar homes. I lived in a resort community. So that was the first thing to go. And so I had to reinvent myself again. Here, I, I'd finally settled into something that I was really good at. And what I had found out from real estate was that I was really good with people. And, and I was really good at taking care of people and customers and clients and, and all of that and sales. And so there was about a year where I, after 2008 where I just, I didn't know what I was gonna do because real estate was done especially where I was living. So I made the decision to take a job in New York and I took a job in the print procurement business and I reconnected with the, the company that did my ex-husband and I's life insurance. And the reason I kind of reconnected with them is I had, I had referred them quite a bit of business after they did our insurance because I thought they were the best. So when I reconnected, I said, I'm living in New York. I'm working for a, a print company. I do print procurement. And, and so they said, oh, well, we're going to be in New York. We should meet. So we met. And I said, you know, I've been referring you a lot of business. If I keep doing that, can I get a referral fee? And he said, why don't you just get your license? And I went, oh, that would, be, that would be a smart thing to do. So on the weekends... I studied and, 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 and I also got transferred from New York to Irvine. We opened an office in Irvine, which was great because my kids were in California at this time with their dad. <clears throat> so now I was back close to my kids because I was having them fly back and forth to New York on holidays to visit me. And so that was a lot of money and a lot of expense. And so I got back to Irvine and on the weekends, I studied and got my life insurance license. And by 2011, I was doing life insurance full-time. By 2012, I was the number one life agent for one of the carriers. And when I say one of the carriers, I w I'm not captive to one company. So I'm licensed with AXA, PacLife, MassMutual, you know, Prudential, all, I'm, I'm licensed with all the carriers across the board. But with this one, I had sold quite a bit. They had a product that was great and I had sold quite a bit. And so I, I, I was their number one agent. And they were like, well, who is this person? Because I wasn't captive to them. But I just would laugh because I would get invited on all these like cruises or, you know, like there'd be perks that would come with, and I had three kids and I didn't have time to go on these perk, perk type of trips, you know, they, yeah. whatever yeah. these trips that come with, with doing well, you know, so, but, so, but you just I, leverage it, network though. You just leverage network. Cause I, I'm only asking cause life insurance, like insurance sales <laughs> is like not an easy thing. You know, like, like it, it's horrible. Are, like everybody's he, like, it's like, you know, there's like it, real estate agents and insurance, insurance sales people. Yeah. And like everybody has a license at some point, but nobody does it and nobody does well. And everybody makes nobody zero does, money. I yeah. agree. It's, it's really, it's so difficult. And, and what I did was I was, well, I was relentless. You know, I had three kids and I did not want to ever be in a situation, especially after the real estate crash. I did not want to be in a situation where I was ever 
wondering what my next thing was going to be. So I really wanted to, to make this work. And so I literally called every single person I knew relentlessly and just asking for business. And if they didn't give me their business, I said, then will you refer somebody to me? And I basically what I was doing is just putting some, uh, uh, you know, that thing in someone's head. If they don't know, they're not going to refer you. So my whole thing is people are not going to give you business if they don't know what you're doing. So I emailed, I called, I texted people. I said, can I meet you for coffee? I met with everybody. And the, I think the thing that I had going for me is one, I worked for probably one of the best companies in the US, brokerage. And two, I had I have a, a past in the entertainment business. So a lot so my one of my first clients was the head of Warner Brothers. You know, and, and I said to him, if I get you as a client, then I can say I have you as a client. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Then more people and more referrals. And so that's how I built my business was basically, you know, the, the more people that I got that. And what's interesting, too, is that you never I, I don't ever discount anything. So even though I may have had failures in real estate or failures in print procurement or maybe I didn't get this or that. But the people that I worked with during those times those all became my life insurance clients. Yeah. So you never know. You never know where where the tide is going to take you. And so you just got to stay in the game. So you were and So you yeah, were, so I had to really I had to really reinvent and I had to really and you know, I I always knew, you know, cuz I had a few people especially in the entertainment business when I called and said, "This is what I'm doing now." And they all knew me as like being on the cover of Playboy or being on the, or being a VJ or, you know, they knew me in the entertainment business and they were like, yeah, I don't know, Deb. It's like, I don't are people going to take you serious? Cause you know, and I was like, well, just meet me for coffee. Yeah. The minute I met people for coffee and we were in person face to face and they saw, oh, this is a different this isn't the girl I knew in the nineties. You know what I mean? That was doing music videos and partying with rock stars. You know, this is, this is a businesswoman now. And so that's why I say, when you have to reinvent yourself, you really, I had to go like from one extreme to, to another because people really did know me a certain way. And, and I had to meet with them and explain that, no, this is what I'm doing now. And also I, I, you know, the thing that's really I think also really good is that I retain information pretty well. And so I was really good at retaining information and remembering products that were available. And I could, I could just off, you know, I knew what was going on and I made sure of that because in the insurance industry, what a lot of people may not know this, but products change. So you may have bought insurance five years ago, well, there may be all new products now, today, five years later, but a, lo- a lot of the insurance agents, and this is why it gets a bad rap, a lot of the insurance agents that are out there, they're usually captive. They usually work for Northwest Mutual or- So they just sell you, the one- They just sell the, the one, one okay. product. Okay, gotcha. Where that's, that's not what I do. I analyze all the products that are out there 
And I may call a client from five years ago and go, you know what, there's a different product we should switch you over. We'll save you 20% on your premiums and get you more life insurance. So why that's the difference. I was, was going <clears> to <throat> say, why do people overcomplicate selling though? Why do people overcomplicate selling all the time? You you hit your Rolodex, you got your, you got your network and you just sat down for coffee face to face. You know your products, product expertise. I love that you said Rolodex because you and I are the only one that knows what that means. That's an old ass word too. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> People you are know, going, what's you a, know what I mean? What? What's yeah. a Rolodex? It's your contact list. It's your contact it's list. Your, it's, it's your contact <laughs> list in your phone. It's yeah. a Rolodex. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's you don't want to overcomplicate. And here's the, here's my thing when it comes to selling. I don't usually have to sell anything. Either people need the product or they don't. And so here's out of, and anybody who's in sales knows this, you're going to get 20 no's before you get that one yes. So I used to always say my, my coin phrase was no means maybe, because I would have so many people say to me, yeah, no. And I go, okay, well, I'll call you next week like as a joke and they go, no, I said, I said, no, like, no. I, and I go, I know, but you know what? Things change. Your broker could close their business or maybe there's a great product that I need to tell you about. And they're like, they would just like roll their eyes at me because in my head, no means maybe. And sure enough, there was a product that came out that was really like, People would actually sit back and go, wait, I don't understand. I would explain it again. There was absolutely no reason why they should not do this, this product. And so when it was explained, they were like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. But are you sure? And I'm like, every once in a while, these companies make mistakes. And this product is one premium payment, prepays it for five years. And it's a mistake, but they haven't caught it yet. And until they catch it, until they take it off the market, you should buy as much of it as you can. Because once you buy it, it's you, you own it. So, you know, it's like stuff like that. And that's, I think that's just knowing your products, knowing what's out there, knowing who your clientele is. And then auditing, constantly auditing. So I constantly audit. I constantly get, go back through clients that I sold in 2015 and I go back and audit and see what they have, where they're at. Maybe they're, maybe they need more now, you know, maybe back then they only needed 5 million, but today their business grew a lot and now they need 50 million. There's, you know what I mean? But how would I know unless I go and audit that? It seems, it seems so straightforward when you like lay out the steps. Um, so why do people so much, why do so many people fail in this industry then in life insurance? Why is it? Cause you said, you said one thing, a lot of people are captive to certain, to certain products. Well, that's um, probably so the can't. number one reason is if you're captive. That's a, that the number one. Okay. So that's the number one. That would be Outside my number one reason why people get stuck in any sales situation. Because when you become captive to one product, it's hard to sell one product. Especially if it's not a good product. Especially it if it's not a good product. Selling the best product. And so I can tell you, 
the one that we redo all the time is uh, not saying that it's a bad product. I'm not saying that, but we redo a lot of Northwest Mutual products because mm -hmm. it doesn't work for our clientele. So you've so you've reinvented yourself. You're now you've sold you've sold you sold to studio uh, moguls, uh, celebrities, Fortune 500, a whole bunch of incredible individuals. So. What do you do now in your career? You you've reinvented so yourself. Now, you still have a lot yeah. of life left. So what's next? Yeah. What's yeah. next? Um, well, this last year I spent most of the year writing. I formed a publishing company called Crystal Woods Publishing. Don't ask me why I chose that name. I don't know. I just I loved it and I chose it. And um, I have a book that I'm publishing in the next six months called Son of a Basque. It's a historical fiction. So that'll be the first book I publish. My grandfather wrote the book. I read it quite a few times and I, I actually fell in love with the book and I learned a lot about him. Stuff I didn't even know is in the book. And thank God, you know, he's no longer with us, but thank God my mother is. And so she's been a tremendous help with helping me with certain things that I would be too young to remember. So that, that book is getting published as we speak. And then, you know, I write a weekly blog. I, I have a website, deborahdriggs.com, and I write a weekly blog. And my weekly blog is really excerpts from my memoir, which I'll probably publish in 2023 after I'm doing Son of a Basque first. And then I'll do my memoir. So writing is a huge part of my of my life right now. And it's so great that I feel so grateful. I think that, you know, in some ways, this whole pandemic and everything kind of shutting down and slowing down kind of made everybody reevaluate certain things. And for me, the, the beautiful thing that came out of it was I really, I, I got to go back to being creative. And I really missed that a lot. I, I, I had forgotten just really how much I love to create. And when I was in the entertainment world and I would audition and have to prepare and have to get ready for certain things, there's a creative process that happens. And for a long time, I didn't use that instrument. And so I feel like this last year, I got to reuse it. I booked some modeling jobs this last year, and I worked on a film that's going to go to the Idlewild Film Festival in March. So I've been just back doing creative stuff. You're busy. And, yeah, and I really... Well, I, I, you just listed off... I have notes here, and you just listed off a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even know that you were doing, because like, I just have notes here that you uh, you do a business strategy talk on sales. I do. Um, and then you also... Now you're doing motivational speaking on helping women break through negative self-talk as well. So yeah. stuff that you've learned out over your entire life. So you, yep. And movie, I will tell book, you this. All that stuff is up. Yeah. yeah. I, I got asked to do some speeches right before COVID hit. And I spoke in January, right before COVID. And I spoke on stage in New Jersey. And I was one of those like, you know, 10 minute speakers, you know, like I came out and spoke for 10 minutes about insurance and how that is for me as a woman in a business that is 80% men. And so, and then, and then somebody came on stage and spoke with me and then we did this conversation and I got off stage and I had like five people come up to me and ask me if I would be their 
speaker at their event. And I said, sure, I would love to. What do you speak about? So I started it to, well, you know, for me, I, I speak about everything that we're talking about. I basically nice, talk nice. about okay. the life skills from sports to being in the entertainment business to falling down at 40. You know, I fell down at 14, 15 years old and fell down again at 40. Mm -hmm. I talk about reinvention. I talk about divorce. I talk about, you know, what it's like to age gracefully, you know, and I, I have another coin phrase that I say. It's on my 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 website and on my email. I say aging gracefully is a full time job because it really is. It, it requires so much inner work. It requires so much wellness and holistic thinking that it becomes really a full-time job, you know, how we age and, you know, people, people are always looking for some trick serum, you know, for, for, for the wrinkles and this and that. And, and I, I can just tell you that I, I turned 58 in December and I feel healthier and younger than I did in my twenties. And there's a reason for that. It's, I think, the more stuff you do internally, the more you're going to age gracefully. And so I talk about that. So really, to be honest with you, if somebody called me and said, hey, could you come and do a 20-minute keynote speech on how to use a Kleenex box? You know, I'd be like, okay. You know, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, because you're using your stories. You're using your yeah. experience and hopefully your experience and your suffering and your 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 knockdowns, things that brought you to your knees, hopefully those things will help somebody else. And that's the whole point of the game, really. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh gives you fresh, pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering, seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. I've used HelloFresh for a while. All the ingredients, all the recipes, they're incredible. It saves you tons of time. It lets you skip those trips to the grocery store that you dread. It makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That is why it is rated America's number one meal kit. Now, it saves you tons of time and stress. HelloFresh offers convenient, contact-free delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the fam. Recipes are super easy to follow. Even I can make them quick to make with steps, pictures to guide you along the way. You can also keep the recipe books for later if you just want to remember the delicious thing you just put together. They're really nicely done so you can use them to remake the meals at a later date. Uh, it cuts out stressful meal planning. It cuts out unnecessary grocery store trips. You can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. It's 30% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store. You skip the checkout lines, you only get the items you need. How often have you planned for a meal? You go to the grocery store, you get all the ingredients, you have tons of leftover, tons of waste. You have things you didn't even use in your main dish that go bad. You have bits of your main dish that go bad because you made too much of it. With HelloFresh, you only get what you need and all the stuff they give you is high quality, delicious ingredients. They have set up a special offer for all Success Story podcast listeners. So if you want to try HelloFresh and you've never tried it before, that's cool. You know, sometimes we're a little bit late to the a little bit late to the party. Go to hellofresh.com/successstory16 
and use code SUCCESSSTORY16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. So I'm just going to say that again because there's a URL you have to go to and there's a code you have to use. HelloFresh.com slash SUCCESSSTORY16 and then when you go to that landing page, use the code SUCCESSSTORY16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. The last thing that I wanted to, to talk to you about, and I thought it was an interesting thing that you mentioned, and I think it's something that a lot of people, well, everybody struggles with this to some extent, but you said, and you've touched on this a bit already, so I don't want to make it seem like you haven't spoken to this, but breaking through negative self-talk, you've done this again and again over your life. That's really how you've invented yourself. And I think that's such a, a noble thing to speak to because everybody deals with this. So what are your what are your recommendations, tips, insights on breaking through that negative self-talk in anything that you do in your life? To name it, you know, to name that, that, that person in your head, to name that person, oh, you know, whatever it is, you know, to name it so you can tell it, you know, thanks for that thought today, but now you can go away because this person's taking over and I'm in charge, you know? And I think, I think that when you give it a name or you give it a, you get you 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 make it so it's yours. You own it, and so we're all going to have negative talk. There's just no getting around it. There are going to be days where we wake up where we don't want to get out of bed. We just want to pull the covers over. We just want to go. You know what? Today's just not the day. It's not going to happen today, and that's the voice that I go. Oh, really? Okay, really? Well, let's talk. You know, really? You know, and to just make it funny, like have a conversation. Really? Well, why do you think that? Why do you think that, you know, people might go, she's talking to herself. She's absolutely fucking lost it. And it's true <laughs> in a sense, you know, but I think that when you, when you, when you call something out or you write it down, it makes it less of a negative thing. Because I will tell you mm -hmm. anytime that I've gotten into the I agree deepest, with that 100%. right? When you get into that deep funk or that deep, like, oh, I'm so irritated or upset by this. And if you take out, and for me, this sits by me all day. It's just, you know, a yellow pad. And I know it's so old school, but literally if something's going, I literally write down all my thoughts about it and why I'm upset about it. And all of a sudden, it's like, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's like, it's almost like, go. It, it, seriously, it's like doing yoga. If I'm really upset before I do yoga, I can guarantee you I'm going to walk out of yoga and go, what was I upset about? Yeah. So writing can be like that. Writing can just be like, you know, talking to yourself through writing about what it is you're upset about lessens the negativity of it. And I will say the other thing that I love a lot, and when I say a lot, because I really feel like it works, is I write a letter to God or to the universe or to angels, whatever you believe in. You could write it to Mother Earth. I don't care. You could write it to the plant on your desk. But you go, dear plant, and you write what it is that's really upsetting you. Like, why am I so upset about this, 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 and this, and this. Then you write the second letter, Dear Debs, as if you're the plant. 
here's why you feel that way. And you write it as if you're writing and you're, you have all the answers because here's the truth and here's what I believe. The answers are inside of us. We know. And when you really take the time to do that two-part letter, it's so tremendously insightful because you're writing, dear God, can, mm -hmm. I need help with this. I don't understand. Why is this happening right now? What, whatever the situation is. And I write the whole letter. Please help me. Love, Deb. Turn the page. Dear Debs, this is God. Just got your letter. Here's why this is happening. And you write it as if you know it. That is a... That is an exceptional self-awareness tool. I've never heard anybody recommend that, but I could see how that could be super powerful. That's it's, a really, that's a really smart, that's a smart idea. That's a smart, smart idea because, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't come yeah. up with it. I can't take full credit for it, I've but it was, it, before, so it was a recommend, it was a recommendation to me. I just do it a different way. I just do it mm -hmm. a little bit different. I take, I take it and do it the way I do it. But yeah. I will say this, that every, there, everything that we talk about is, it's been out there for millions and millions of years. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, we just all look at it with a different perspective or a different idea or a different spin on it. But, but we're all trying to figure out what works. And I can tell you that two-part letter works for me, it may not work for somebody else listening to the program. They may be like, that's not going to work. You, that, try it. you won't know unless you try it. And by the way, there's a lot of things that have been recommended to me that do not work. And I go, no, that didn't work for me, but this did. And so I think that's kind of, that's kind of a fun thing because you can, I can take from so many great mentors, coaches, masters, books, articles, blogs, podcasts, there's so much available today that was not available, not even 10 years ago, you know, and how beautiful is that, that today we have accessibility to such amazing wellness. Mm -hmm. Amen. No, that's awesome advice. I've never heard that one before, but I, I would suggest anybody who's listening, try it because that could be something that if you're struggling with a personal problem, uh, uh, a mental health problem, a business problem, a family problem, whatever it is. It's it's incredible how often the answers are so simple. It's just forcing well, you to come to terms with those answers by you know, by asking yourself, right? Yeah. That's really well, it. when you when you write after you write it all out like what's wrong and then then you write, yeah. you know, your name, dear Debs, and then you write <laughs> here's why and then you write it, why, you know, it's, it's very, yeah. very telling because it really does in some beautiful way. I don't want to use the word forceful way because it's not a forced way. If you do it really from your heart, it's like really just really looking at your part in the situation of why something's happening. I love that. Okay, let's, yeah. let's, that's a beautiful way to, to close this out. Um, because then I want to do some rapid fire anyways. So I always like okay. to end off with some rapid fire. Um, but okay. before we pivot, um, where can people reach out to you? Where's the best website, social, all that? All social media, Deborah Driggs, you know, I'm every social media is the same at my name, Deborah Driggs. And then my website is Deborah Driggs.com. 
And like I said, I have a weekly newsletter. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter. I have some free gifts coming up. We were just discussing this today with my web team that I really want to give back to my community because so many I've had so many people sign up for my newsletter that I want to give back. So we came up with some free gifts. So please sign up for my newsletter because I have some really cool stuff coming. Nice. And um, and then I post a weekly blog on my website. I have, um, you know, I model. So I, I also, my website is kind of like a whole array of things. So if people want to book me for modeling, my, my portfolio is there as well. Um, and then any, any upcoming things I have, I have a book being published. I have a movie coming out. All that will there'll be a page for all of that as well. So that's the best place to follow the whole journey. Amazing. No, that's awesome. Okay, yeah. we'll link that in the show notes as well. That's that's Thank great. You. Okay. So let's go into a couple rapid fire. So biggest challenge you've overcome in your life. What was it? How did you overcome it? My divorce. My divorce. My divorce really brought me to my knees and took me years to overcome it. I, I was filled with a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. And it wasn't until I took that time to really look at my part in the situation that I was able to overcome it. If you had to choose one person, obviously there's been many, but pick one person who's been incredibly impactful in your life. Who's that person? What did they teach you? That's super hard. One person. Uh, you have to pick one. I'm challenging you to pick one, even though there's been many. Just the first person that you think of. And it can be a family member, too. It doesn't have to be a, like a, a business person. I am going to say this is going to be interesting because he had such a huge impact on me. But it would be my my father's father, Percy Driggs was really had this really impactful uh, thing on my life because he was very, very smart, but he was a farmer and he was a very well-known farmer. He was corn king. He was, uh, he won awards for potatoes. He won, he was also uh, somebody who uh, raised racehorses. And that always, I actually wrote a report about him, I think in fourth or fifth grade, because he was so impressive to me as just somebody who really, he was the, he was the ultimate guy, you know, he was a man, he was a farmer, but he was also like a well-known person in his community. He was from Moses Lake, Washington, very small town, and everybody knew him. And he was very well liked. Great mentor. Amazing. That's a good answer. Um, if you had to recommend a book or a podcast or something that you've read or consumed in your life uh, that you'd recommend people go check out, what would it be? Well, the, the book that I just read is, I, uh, I think it's called I'm a Badass by Jen Cicero. Uh, I don't know that book. That's a new one. That's a good yeah. one. I love I love when people recommend new books because I I yeah, hear a lot of the same ones. So she <laughs> yeah. her book I like it because it's really there's some phenomenal tips in there. I also love the surrender experiment. 
quite a bit. I think I've, I've gone through that quite a few times. Just I have things highlighted in there. And then I love the Atomic Habits just because I love That's habits. I love, yeah. Okay, those are two good, well, three good examples, but I've, I've read Atomic Habits. <laughs> you so. asked for one, but okay. Yeah, I got, got three a, good got ones. got a bonus. Okay. I got a bonus. That's great. Okay, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? You can be an entrepreneur. You can work for yourself. You don't have to work for anybody else. You can start a business and you don't have to know why. You don't know how, you don't have to know how. Just do it. Good. And then last question. What does success mean to you? Love. Giving. Family. Experiences. Yeah. Wealthy, Great. wealthy and healthy, you know, wealthy life experiences and healthy. Not a lot of monetary stuff in that. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate 
on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. 
text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay